This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. Hello and welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. Thank you to everyone for for joining us today as we look to discuss some of the key questions surrounding the hedge fund investing landscape at the moment. And in doing so, look to answer the question of whether hedge funds are a dying breed or if in fact they are an investment strategy back on the rise. My name is Deborah Wardle, and I am an Alternatives Investment Director at Mercer. Now, I'm fortunate enough in my role that I get to spend time seeing and talking to institutional investors firsthand about their hedge fund portfolios and their broader alternatives allocations. And as a result, I think this conversation today is extremely timely as we're currently seeing a number of investors engage or re-engage in conversations about hedge funds. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by two people today that I genuinely believe couldn't be better suited for this discussion. And that's uh, Dave McMillan, who's the Chief Investment Officer for Hedge Funds for Mercer, and Dr. Shashir Wadwani, who is the Chief Investment Officer for QMA. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Before we start, um, maybe each of you could briefly introduce yourself. So, Shashir, do you want to go first? Oh, okay. So in, in, in terms of the sort of relevant background for the topic that we're discussing today, um, I first joined a hedge fund back in 1995 when I joined Tudor uh, and then have been running hedge funds at this firm since 2003. Uh, but in terms of the other bit of my experience that might be uh, relevant to the situation because there is so much macroeconomic uncertainty. Uh, I both taught uh, macroeconomics at the London School of Economics in the 1980s, and I was also uh, a member of the Monetary Policy Committee uh, at the Bank of England for three years. Uh, and it's a great pleasure to be here today and to talk to you and Dave. Thank you. Thank you, so It's a delight to have you with us. Um, a wealth of experience you can bring today. And, and Dave, over to you for a brief introduction, please. Sure. Um, hi, I'm Dave McMillan, uh, Mercer's uh, CIO for hedge funds. Um, I've been with the firm for 22 years. And for 20 of those years, I've been working with clients on an advisory or discretionary basis to help them implement their hedge fund portfolio. So certainly from my perspective, we hope they're not a dying breed. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see where we end up. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So maybe let's just dive straight into the discussion today. And I think, uh, Sushil, you alluded to it with your uh, macro background, but obviously the, the current market backdrop, it's probably fair to say that if you're an investor, you're faced with maybe a few more headwinds than you were kind of five to 10 years ago, particularly when we look at, I don't know, to name a few, the, the geopolitical instability we have right now, the concerns around inflation, market volatility, elevated valuations, and I haven't even mentioned COVID in that either. Um, yes. so, so sure, I guess kind of within your role, you're obviously involved in kind of all areas of investing at, at your firm. And it'd be great to maybe get your take on what worries you or what's your biggest concern 
um, about investing in the current market environment? So, so uh, I certainly agree with you that this is an incredibly challenging environment. Uh, and to me, to some extent, it uh, brings back echoes of my childhood, which is really the 1970s, um, when, uh, you know, as, as an economic student, A-level economic student, I, I was following these events from afar. And certainly the macro scenario seems just as challenging uh, as the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and it was interesting, Governor Bailey uh, said yesterday uh, that he thought this was the, the most challenging macro environment in his lifetime. And he's around my age. Um, I, and I guess what you've got is exactly the factors you mentioned. So inflation has been higher and more persistent than any of the central banks thought. And it's all been compounded by obviously the big geopolitical uh, risk risks that we're seeing, uh, the significant geopolitical risks that we're seeing. And there is clearer evidence that inflation expectations have become de-anchored and that the central banks are behind the curve. So in this situation, they clearly have to now tighten aggressively, which they all are signaling that they will do. But what happens next is very uncertain uh, because it's been a long time since central banks have been this far behind the curve. And it's very difficult to soft land the economy starting here. Uh, so uh, the risks of a recession must be very high. But to some extent, central banks have no choice because they can't allow inflation expectations to be permanently de-anchored. So they have to keep going. Now, for a lot of investors, this is very different from the uh, scenarios they witnessed in the last 10 or 20 years. Because inflation has been low, Virtually every time financial conditions tightened and equity markets came down, central bankers rode to the rescue. They're no longer able or willing to do so. So suddenly you've now got a situation where bond deals are going up because inflation is high and central banks are tightening. And equity markets are threatened by both higher interest rates and the prospect of a recession. So it's actually quite a lethal and unhelpful combination, um, which then means that the 60-40 portfolio is significantly challenged, just as it was in the 1970s. So we, you know, I don't want to exaggerate this. We may be seeing a more muted version of the 70s, but the echoes are significant. I've gone on too long, Dave. I, I'd better let you opine. No, I was I was uh, I was intrigued, Sushil, and enjoying your comments. Uh, enjoying, I guess, um, just listening to the to the insight because it does paint a dawning picture from an investing perspective. You know, I'm I'm humbled by many things um, in markets, but one of them is that I've only seen for for my career rates go one direction, and and so it you know careful what you wish for. If, if interest rates are going the other direction for a sustained period of time, um, you know, 
it's hard to uh, imagine or conceive all the all the consequences intended or otherwise. Um, uh, you know, the 60-40 components each have a role, right? And, and so equities, we are taking risk. We have the, the volatility risk that we're accepting and, and we're rewarded for that over the long term. And and that's uh, we expect that to continue, and that's not unreasonable. But you've, for this long period of time, had this wonderful diversifier in the forty percent to fixed income, and not only have you had the you know a yield compression tailwind, but you've ended up with this negative correlation between the two, which has just been perfect. Uh, whenever you needed to to rebalance, you could actually harvest gains from the fixed income. <laughs> Add to equities, as you say, and then the, the Fed and the central banks would would prop you up and, and lift you. And from from here, where, where where do you play defense with the different tools within an asset allocation constraint? If your historic defensive tools or diversifiers or protectors suddenly introduce uh, risks or challenges to the equation, as you might see with traditional fixed income or cash in an inflationary environment. It really creates a, a daunting um, challenge for investors. Where, where are you going to allocate? Where, where can you hide from risks? And, and I guess with that in mind, um, if the 60-40 portfolio, as you say, can't provide the diversification investors need, where, where can they find it? Well, I appreciate that question. And, and uh, you know, it might, uh, probably not surprising this is where hedge funds are really well suited. And really, that's why we're having this podcast in today's environment. Um, if, if you think about all the world's asset classes, and Deb, you know this, we, we diversify. We diversify across uh, global equity markets by size, by style. And then yeah. we introduce you know, infrastructure or real estate or, or privates. And, and Make no mistake, all those steps are creative and thoughtful and, 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 and you know, building robust portfolios. But all of those asset classes, whether it's priced or not, um, have some degree of GDP risk, equity risk, interest rate risk. The only thing that doesn't have equity risk or interest rate risk to some degree is, is cash. Now, cash presents its own unique challenges in an inflationary environment. But with hedge funds, you can get a cash plus return profile. So let's say a cash plus four and minimal interest rate sensitivity and really very low sensitivity to equity market moves. So in that regard, it is the unique diversifier of both stock and bond mix uh, or, or risk, excuse me. And so um, we think that's really timely um, and, and, and worthy of a a conversation. And, and as you know, we're having these conversations with clients uh, all the time these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think kind of the, the, the background that we gave at the beginning shows very clearly why those conversations need to be need to be had. Um, so, Shil, from, from your standpoint, I guess, do you share a similar perspective? And is there anything that you'd add on, I guess, the role that hedge funds can play in investors' portfolios? So, I completely agree with everything Dave just said. Uh, and certainly, we've seen a significant pickup in conversations with people who are adopting the so-called portable alpha approach, where what they want to do is they want to take advantage of what Dave said in terms of the low correlations with uh, equities and bonds, and the fact that 
you know, there is some return being produced. And as Dave said, you, you don't need to shoot the lights out. It's enough if you just produce uh, cash plus four. Um, and we are having more and more conversations with people who are saying to us that we have these, this passive allocation to equity indices. You know, we've bought these ETFs or whatever. And can you instead replace these equity index ETFs for us with buying the equity future, thereby freeing up a lot of cash? And please use the cash to invest in some of the diversifying strategies you run. Um, and essentially what they're looking for is the return on the equity index that they were getting anyway, plus a little bit in terms of extra alpha, plus the, the main thing they're looking for is the equity risk mitigation. They want to be able to go to their trustees or their board, you know, whoever's supervising them, uh, and explain that they've actually put some insurance in place, but that they've put this insurance in place without it actually costing them any money. Uh, so the, the CIOs tell me that they find it much more challenging to go and say that, you know, I've bought these, this option structure, which is going to cost me a percent and a half a year, and it's going to protect uh, the equity downside. They find it much easier to say, I've put this structure in place whereby we'll actually make a little bit of money. And when equities go down, we'll, make, we'll protect uh, the portfolio meaningfully. Um, no, that's really interesting. I think uh, uh, an excellent way to, I guess, utilize the whole whole toolkit available for investors to then kind of, as you say, get the best, best overall uh, risk-adjusted return and use that capital in the most efficient way. And you say, you mentioned a comment about um, returns and saying kind of cash plus four, that's enough. You don't need much more than that. And I think this is probably a perfect segue into moving on to for what, for some, probably listening today is is the elephant in the room when it comes to hedge funds and that is performance and I guess with hindsight which we'd all love to have particularly when investing but diversification hasn't been rewarded over the past kind of 10 years or so and it could be argued that I guess the absolute level of, of hedge fund performance has been disappointing or kind of somewhat suppressed and rightly or wrongly this has led to um criticism and concerns, I guess, regarding the overall kind of cost benefit of having a hedge fund allocation as part of an overall portfolio. And 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 Dave, I'm looking to you because no doubt you probably had at least a few conversations um, with investors and clients over the past 10 years who would share maybe similar views or similar comments. And maybe maybe turn to you and say, do you first of all think that criticism is fair? Um, and if it is why do you think that's been the case? But also equally, if you don't think it is, why, why do you think it hasn't been? Yes. I mean, look, we ultimately it's, it's the, it's the client's money. We're, we're here to serve them. It's, it's, you know, we, we can't lose sight of that. And so the, the investors are, are disappointed. You know, we, we should all be accountable for that. Um, but I, I'll make a couple of observations. I mean, first of all, at the, at the aggregate, industry level, um, the, if you will, average hedge fund, I think there's reason to be disappointed, right? It, it is an area where um, 
relatively low barriers to entry and and if you do it well you know it's it's a there are economic rewards and so that attracts a lot of people um and admittedly we would we would argue and we always have as you know this deb that that very few really deserve a share of your profits because your profits are are precious and so yes at the industry level i think there's been disappointment but i think a lot of this also has to do with with context right um the past 10 years has been a, a very unique period, right? Where you just you just needed stocks and bonds or you just needed stocks or, or you just, actually you just needed four stocks, right? Um, um, and, and so, but, but going forward, that is unlikely to persist. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that plus four profile with low sensitivity to stocks and bonds that we're talking about, um, yeah, you didn't need that when equities were doing 20. Right, diversification in that in that context can represent an opportunity cost. But the thing is, you don't know when you're going to need it, right? Yeah. And and so it's it's better to have it there uh, before the fact. Obviously, clients this year are pleased to have successful hedge fund portfolios because it's working. Mm-hmm. What I've found over the years, though, is that um, a- assessing the quality of of return can be challenging for a lot of investors who are. Or, or committee members or trustees who are really able to just look at this part-time because they already have a full-time job. Maybe they're not able to look under the hood uh, substantially. And, and investors just often know that a, a bigger return is better. But but that quality of the return, what is driving the return? Is it equity risk? Is it interest rate risk? Or is it something that might be more persistent and, and, and timeless? Um that is information that's very helpful. So what we've found is if you can set out statistical measurable objectives at the beginning of the endeavor, um, return, cash plus four, volatility, and, and provide me- metrics. How are we going to measure diversification? Let's use beta. Let's use correlation. Let's give it an actual statistic. What's our, our asymmetry? What, how are we going to perform in down markets versus up markets? If you set those out in writing at the onset and then you measure them, you have the ability to produce a report card. Um, and so that really gives that investor, from our perspective, the ability to know that, hey, while I haven't needed this over this period when equities have done well or when fixed has rewarded me, it does have the characteristics that I may need come a rainy day in, in the market. Yeah, I think you're I think you're exactly right. It's probably part of the challenge that hedge funds have had is that their performance has been directly compared to equities. I think there's an equity substitute sometimes. And obviously, we all know this the stellar run that equities have been on over, over the last 10 years. And you're right, it's about kind of, I guess, re-anchoring, having that conversation with clients again to be, remind them of why this in the portfolio, what it was set out to do, what those objectives were at the beginning, and asking yourself, have they met those objectives rather than kind of have you, as you said, met the return of those four equity companies that have done tremendously well over the last 10 years? And I'll give you two more data points. I mean, to yeah. to compare hedge funds to equities, it's if you're only taking one third of the volatility, one third of the risk, that is not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I'll, I'll throw out there is cash plus four over very long periods of time, equities have approximated a cash plus four mm-hmm. return and have been tethered to it. So really context has a, has a lot to do with the quality of the return. Absolutely. And and Shishil, from your side, is there anything that you'd add on the performance lens? Yeah. So uh, again, uh, I agree with 
everything Dave just said. The only little thing I, I would add is that in my experience, what I found during this period was that clients decided that it was too much of a struggle to argue with their boards about hedge funds as a standalone PL item. So increasingly, they adopted the portable alpha approach we were talking about, and they smuggled it into their equity book. So essentially, hedge funds became a source of equity alpha, even the, and the way it was justified to their boards was that instead of relying on equity alpha generated through bottoms-up stock picking, which had become increasingly challenging, instead they were adding alpha through top-down macro stuff. The top-down macro stuff was making your cash plus four or so, but that was enough to generate meaningful alpha once put in the portable alpha construct. And because you were using the hedge funds to add alpha over equities, which were going up very strongly, no one on the board ever argued with you. But you had the knowledge as CIO that you'd got your diversifiers in place. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, I found a lot of CIOs use this mechanism to get it past their boards. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess we've mentioned a few references to, to where we are today. And obviously, we've discussed the challenges um, for investing more broadly today. And I guess why we think hedge funds can, can help through the value add they can bring to a portfolio and why maybe diversification hasn't been rewarded over the last decade or so. But I guess kind of turning our focus forward, um, one thing that probably is certain is that the next 10 years certainly aren't going to fall the same way that the last 10 did. So I guess as we look forward, it'd be great to get your insights on where you both see, I guess, key areas of opportunity um, within the hedge fund market today. And maybe, Sashir, if you'd like to kick us off. So uh, as, you say, as you said, the context really matters. So if we are transitioning from a macro environment where inflation was low and central banks could continually write to the rescue, to one instead where there is potentially a significant regime change in inflation. Uh, now, the one thing we know during regime changes is that central bank interest rate uh, setting committees demonstrate inertia. And a lot of people out there, investors, people in the economy, uh, also demonstrate inertia because it's always too early to tell whether you've seen a regime change. Now, that's a perfect environment for a hedge fund strategy like trend following to do well. Trend following does well, does best when it's exploiting inertia. And if trend following does well, then actually systematic macro and uh, discretionary macro, which are country cousins of trend following, are also going to do well. So I would say that if you think we're seeing a regime change, and that's a good place to be. Now, the other big uh, risk out there is that of a recession. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows what the probability is, but certainly there's a well above average probability of a recession in the US, in the UK, in the next two years. Now, the one thing Chairman Greenspan always used to remind us of was that recessions represent a significant discontinuity 
in economic behavior. Again, trend followers are great at uh, exploiting discontinuities and you know, systematic macro and uh, discretionary macro as well would, would, would go along for the ride. So it seems to me that you know, if we have a regime change, if we have recession risk, then those are the strategies we should look for. And then alongside all this, you'll see big changes in the world. So we've had a huge rise in commodity prices now over the last 24 months. So the fortunes of commodity exporters and importers have meaningfully diverged. You talked at the outset about geopolitical risk. There are winners and losers from there. The world might, alas, splinter into groups, to regional groups or geopolitical groups. So there are going to be lots of winners and losers. So people who, hedge funds that are good at sort of making these relative trades between countries are also likely um, to prosper. And I think for the first time in about 12 to 15 years, this is the time for trend following and macro. Interesting. And I think it's made, you made a really good point there. And just reminding everybody that hedge funds themselves aren't an asset class. They're a collection of different kind of heterogeneous investment strategies, which can be utilized to, to gain exposure to a variety of non-traditional risks. And there'll be periods where certain types of hedge fund strategies are maybe going to be more beneficial to investors than others. But I guess, Dave, from, from your perspective, from that more allocator perspective, um, how do you think about different hedge fund strategies playing different roles for investors across a market cycle and also where we are today? Sure. Um, well, first, uh, we are better buyers of trend following and, and macro. Uh, following on Sushil's comments there. I think um, those strategies, particularly trend following, it's just structurally set up for, for this environment that we see unfolding, as, as Sushil um, really detailed. It's, uh, it is a very reasonable bet that inflation will catalyze trends, and, and that's a strategy that will participate. But to your point there, Deba, it really your, your outcome from your hedge fund portfolio will be based on the managers you choose to invest with and the the risks they take and the risks they seek to avoid. Um, and so specific macro managers um, are very concerned with inflation and, and they have the tools and really the historical expertise to, to protect against that and indeed even profit from it. Um, but it's that thesis is not just constrained necessarily to, to those uh, in, the, in the trading or macro world. Um, we've got uh, multi-strategy managers, for instance, who share that concern. And so in addition to their book of diverse risks, they'll hold gold. They've got short positions and interest rates. So um, really many managers are, are able to implement this view into their trading strategy. For instance, so she'll mention winners and losers in the context of a, or the context, excuse me, of a macro manager betting on countries. And we invest with a lot of fundamental investors uh, who are long and short, uh, either via equities or via you know, corporate credit, for example. Those managers have the ability to, to embed and, and really embrace uh, business pricing power in the equation, like which businesses are likely to be the winners and take market shares versus the losers. And so you can really set that strategy up if you have that perspective to, to, to profit in, in this coming environment. 
Um, you know, the other thing, one of the things that worries me the most about kind of the environment today is that it just seems quite obvious this is the path we're going to go on. And, and the markets in the world tend to surprise you, right? And so it, it's not necessarily going to be this very neat path, at least I think that's a reasonable bet to make. And so that's why in our hedge fund portfolios, you know, we're not going to put the entire boat towards trend following necessarily because, you know, we're going to be unstable if everybody's leaning to the left. Um, and yeah. so we want to have a diverse collection of bi-directional managers, macro-oriented managers, corporate event practitioners, and that trend following and, and really those hedging strategies to make sure at the end of the day, we can try to satisfy the overall objective of delivering diversification. Yeah, and I guess you kind of touched on it as well earlier. It's it's not easy to do this. It's about kind of finding those hedge funds that can deliver those kind of asymmetric return profiles, avoiding the ones that just provide, I guess, more exposure to broad market beta rather than alpha. But there are some hedge funds out there that are uniquely positioned to be able to kind of help investors, I guess, weather the, the current market environment um, that we're in. And uh, Dave, you touched on kind of some of the, the risks that you're con- you're concerned about. Um, but Sushil, from, from your perspective, I guess, what do you see as the biggest risk to, to the hedge fund market today? Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Brief, briefly. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, so, yes, yes. So I, I just highlight the, the sort of main uh, concerns. So, uh, I mean, Dave is absolutely right. Uh, you know, it may all it may well be that the macro scenario is much better than I'm imagining, uh, and it might all settle down. And uh, you know, the trend following positions that have prospered this year uh, may suddenly reverse. You know, it it, it is possible after all that uh, supply constraints might ease and inflation might suddenly start coming down and you could get a big reversal and at that point the challenge will be uh, is this just a kind of bull market correction in performance or is this a secular change and are we actually back to the sort of more benign macro environment that we inhabited uh, over the last 25 years Uh, and that is certainly uh, something that Uh, as Dave reminded us, is going to challenge hedge funds uh, of various types because increasingly uh, a more uncertain macro environment has impinged into uh, the thinking of people who do all sorts of different things under the hedge fund label. Uh, And I think we always, always have to watch out against groupthink. So the view that inflation was going to be high and persistent was out of consensus two years ago when some of us had it, but it's very much consensus now. And to be honest, uh, in terms of our systematic macro modeling, I'm constantly trying to look out for when inflation might have peaked and when the market might start doing something different. And just actually, that just jogged my memory that um, your your point there about kind of obviously your background in, in quantitative modeling, and you've been doing that for quite some time. And in every industry in the world of late, it's been disrupted by technology in a huge way, uh, particularly over the last few years. Uh, have you seen 
like what have you seen witness from from the hedge fund space are we seeing kind of more of a push towards quantitative approaches and use of kind of alternative data and machine learning how are you seeing that play out so certainly uh, i mean a great boon for us has been the availability of data so in the sort of mid 90s when i was working at another hedge fund uh, macro systematic macro investing often had to rely on aggregates that came out weekly or monthly while now increasingly we we have lots and lots of daily information and that's been a huge boon in terms of uh, of, of trying to track economies and, and and essentially trying to track sentiment shifts uh which uh, you know animal spirits are so important to the economy um so that's been a good thing there are lots of fears that humans like us might get disrupted because of automated machine learning and artificial intelligence and so on now the only thing that saved dinosaurs like me so far is the fact that uh, uh economics is not physics and actually uh there are very few stable relationships in economics and indeed you know as george soros used to say there's plenty of reflexivity around as well mm-hmm. and that's the main reason uh that some of these automated algos trip up so what you need is you need a bit of economic theory to understand why this time might be different mm-hmm. in terms of the relationship between x and y and you also need a human being to be aware of what's going around to better understand the context of why the relationship might be different so while i'm you know i'm not ruling out the possibility that there may be some very clever machines that will ultimately replace us we're not there yet at least in my humble yet. opinion we're not there yet <laughs> um and maybe just one last question for you each um just from your perspective i think we've had a fantastic conversation time's flown by um but what's i guess the one thing that you'd like our listeners today to take away from this conversation dave maybe starting with you oh gosh um <laughs> i i would uh my takeaway is this um your outcome will be dominated by equity risk and interest rate risk and we think it's it's prudent to maybe add a, a third leg to the portfolio stool Um, and that's certainly a conversation we think it's worth having. Absolutely. And so, Shio, any kind of final comments from you? So, uh, I mean, Dave sum, summed it up very well. The only thing I would say is that this I've encountered a lot of skepticism about hedge funds, and so at the least I would ask is that at least be open-minded and have a fresh look at seeing whether they can add value in a more treacherous macro environment. I mean that's brilliant and I, yeah, I I I agree with that and I was thinking when I was kind of um planning out some some questions for the, for this podcast for this discussion today I imagine a few people listening probably started off being quite pessimistic about maybe the role that hedge funds can play in an investor's portfolio and hopefully uh, this conversation has reminded them that of the value that that hedge funds can can bring to a, to a portfolio I guess particularly um in the current environment with with the risks that we we we've discussed um So uh I that just I guess leaves me to to say thank you to you both um for for joining me today for sharing your thoughts and your insights and of course um to all our listeners for for taking the time to listen today and if if anyone would like more information or anything discussed uh please feel free to reach out to your Mercer representative 
or send an email to ctci at mercer.com. And also, if you like this podcast, please subscribe um, and leave a review. Thank you very much. Thank you.